0: Hey, it's Cody Woodard, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this message encourages you and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. I want to get into it. We are... We are in a series called He Shall Be Called, where we are taking a look at a famous passage written thousands of years ago. And the reason I like this passage is because though it was prophesied by a guy named Isaiah 700 years before Jesus came, it wasn't just for the people back then, but I believe it's a word for us right now. Amen. So we're gonna read Isaiah 9. Verse 6, and I actually want us to read this out loud together. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screen behind me. But together, let's read Isaiah 9 6 out loud. Ready? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Last week, Pastor Brennan Washington did an incredible job talking about the wonderful counselor and how we all need counseling because we all have issues. And if you don't know your issue, that's your issue. And uh, he talks about how all of us really need a counsel, somebody who, like God that can, that can lead us in the right direction. But the good news was is that we didn't just end with a wonderful counselor. We also talked about how he's a mighty God, which means because you got issues, you don't have to figure them out on your own, but God is able to take you from where you've been to where he wants you to go. Amen, somebody. Come on, we have a mighty God. And today I want to talk to you about the third name. The third name, next week I'll finish on Christmas Eve with the Prince of Peace, but today I wanna talk to you about this third name that Isaiah gives our God, which is Everlasting Father. He says that the government will rest on his shoulders. So here's what I want you to do. Pick your favorite neighbor. Come on, pick your favorite neighbor. Not the one you don't like, the one you love. And I want you to tell him, say, I know there's a lot of problems in the world. I know you're a little concerned about the future. But, come on, somebody say, but. But, He's got it. Come on, say, he's got it. Touch three people, tell them he's got it. He's got got it. it. He's got it. Let's pray together. If you would, stretch a hand towards heaven. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that no matter what happens in our world, when life feels out of control, when we're anxious and we're worried, when we don't know what tomorrow holds, when we don't know what our future looks like, we can trust in the fact, God, that you've got it. We love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Come on, everybody said. Come on, touch a neighbor. Say, he's got it. He's got it. He's got it. Well, I thought this morning it would be fun. I don't know about you. Does anybody love a good Christmas movie? Come on, where are my Christmas movie fanatics at? Me and my wife love, love watching them. And uh, I, love this, I love this paradox that it gives because in scripture it says, For to us, a child will be born, but then he also says he will be a father. And I think Hollywood has done a pretty good job about giving us some really awesome examples of fathers in the movies. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna play a little game with you real quick. We're gonna see if you can guess the names of these Christmas movie fathers. Not the actor's name, but the name of the character in the movie. We're gonna start a little easy. We're gonna get a little harder. All right, so here's the first one. Who is this right here? Clark Griswold. Come on, Clark Griswold. Christmas Vacation, one of my all-time favorites. That one was easy. All right, what about this one? Here's the second one. Who's this man right here? Peter McAllister. Peter McAllister. Yesterday, my wife and I watched Home Alone 2. Two's the best one, by the way. Home Alone 2, Home Alone 1, and then my kid wanted to watch Home Alone 2 again all in one day. His favorite part, they loved it when when Kevin McAllister was just beating up and destroying the two bad guys in the movie. All right, here's the third one. Now, this is the first Christmas movie I watched this year. Does anybody know this man's name? Eddie Murphy. Somebody said, it's not Eddie Murphy. Come on. This is not Dr. Doolittle. Somebody said it. It's Chris Harvard. This is a new movie that's released on Amazon um, called Candy Cane Lane. It's an incredible movie. would encourage you to go watch it. That was the first one we watched. All right, number four. This one might be a little bit harder for you. Does anybody know this guy's name? No, it's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. I heard somebody say The Terminator. No, wrong movie. Anybody know the movie? Jingle All the Way. This is Howard Langston. Howard Langston. Turbo Man would have been acceptable as well. Turbo Man. And then here's the final one. This is gonna cause some controversy. Does anybody know who this man is? John McClane, there it is, Die Hard. Die Hard is a Christmas movie for all of my haters. But the idea of father is so prevalent, right, in, in the Christmas narrative. And for many of those movies, many of you, it brings up a lot of really good memories with your dad. But then there's some of you that it brings up a lot of tough times, maybe because your dad was absent. Maybe your dad was abusive. Maybe you didn't have the father that you wanted to have. And so I realize I want to recognize this Christmas season as we talk around God being an everlasting father, that for many of us, that can be a really hard thing to come to grips with. In fact, we live in a generation that is now called the fatherless generation. One out of every three homes in America, children are growing up without their biological father physically present in the house. I read a statistic the other day that the average dad gives 35 seconds of undivided attention to their children each day. And I believe that when we take a look at society and we look at the issues and we look at the struggles and we look at the lack of direction or leadership or morality, I think it can start and end in the home with the fathers being present. I think that it's important that we understand that the importance of the fathers that we have and that they're needed more than ever before. So I wanna introduce you today, despite your background, despite your, your context, despite what you've been through, maybe with your earthly dad, I wanna introduce you to a heavenly father, an everlasting father who will never leave you, never forsake you, never let you down, who will love you, amen, somebody? But before I do that, um, in a world where, in a world that we know fathers are absent, and a lot of times in the movies, they get made to be out the bad guy or the dummy or the idiot, Um, there's definitely a narrative that in culture, but the privilege I get as a pastor is I get to kind of see the flip side of it. And one of the things I love so much are the dads in this house who are in church every single week. In fact, if you're a dad, if you're a granddad or a spiritual dad, could you just stand up to your feet right now? I know this is not Father's Day, but we just wanna honor you and let you know you're making a difference. Come on, church, why don't we show our dad some love? Serving week in and week out. Thank you, dads. Thank you, granddads. And, and look at me, uh, fathers in the room, I want you to know you're doing better than you think you are. I know it's hard being a dad. I got three little crazy boys of my own and I know that it can be a challenge, but I just wanna say as your pastor, man, I'm so proud that we have a church of men and a church of dads um, that step up and that love their families and are leading the way spiritually in our society. Because again, I know there's not a lot of that that's happened. I know a lot of you didn't have the dads that just stood up. You, you did not have the dads that are pictured in the Christmas movie. But what I do wanna do is I wanna talk about this idea that you have an everlasting father that loves you and that if you are in Christ, Romans eight fifteen says this, that you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. What a beautiful thought to think of everybody in the world that God saw you and that he chose you and he picked you and he adopted you and he's given you a new identity and a new purpose. Amen, somebody. That you now have the right and we can call him Abba, Father. It's this picture, this idea of a God who is not far off in the distance, but, but a dad who is actually close. A dad that's present. And so, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this thought down because I want to give you a couple things about your heavenly father. I think that needs to get deep down in your spirit so that maybe some of those wounds that you've experienced in your childhood can now be healed today and you're going to walk out different than you walked in. And so, if you're taking notes, write this num- num- point number one down. Your everlasting father is compassionate towards your concerns. He is compassionate towards your concerns, he cares about your concerns. He, he literally has all of the world and everything that's going on in it and deal with it, but yet he, he has compassionate about what's going on in your life. Now, if you didn't know, I'm a father of, of three boys, Tatum, who's five years old, Jet, who's three, and Truett, who is five months old. And right now, um, there's a lot of days where they have a lot of concerns and I find them really hilarious. Like their concerns really aren't my concerns. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like your kid brings things to you and they're like, daddy, like the battery died on the iPhone. Do you know what I mean? And this is like, it's not really a big concern of mine, but could you imagine if my son came home from school and talked about how a kid picked on him or how he didn't get a snack or how he didn't get a treat at the end of the day because he wouldn't quit running his mouth during nap time. Come on, somebody. Can you imagine if I told my son or sons, yo, don't bring that to me. Do you know who I am? I'm the pastor of a church, one of the greatest churches in America. I have to write Christmas sermons where everybody thinks they know the Christmas story, and i got to find a way to get it done. Do you not know what's going on in my life? I have no time for your concerns. I would never do that. Why? Because in that moment when my sons tell me about what's concerning to them, they have my full attention what they're sharing in, in their little minds and in their hearts, it, it matters to them. And because I'm their dad and a good loving father, what matters to them matters to me. I love the scripture says, it says as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear it. Your, your heavenly father cares about what's going on in your life. And I think sometimes in life we, We don't really feel like we can go to our our heavenly father, maybe because of the neglect of our earthly father. We feel like maybe God's too busy in heaven and my issues aren't really significant enough. Like he's got bigger fish to fry. He's got more things to deal with. I mean, a disaster just came through. What does it really matter of the little things in my life? But can I just tell you that if it's important to you, it's important to God. That your greatest problem is God's greatest priority. That God actually cares about what it is you're going through. And I know there's a passage in Matthew chapter six where I know a lot of us have read and a lot of us have heard this before. But I just wanna show you how much your heavenly father cares about you. Matthew chapter six, Jesus is talking to crowds of people and to his disciples. And this is the passage where he says, don't worry about your life. And, and before I read it, I, I just want you to maybe imagine right now that you're sitting in the presence of your father, of your heavenly father, because you are, by the way. And, and I want you to just imagine and picture a conversation that you're having with your everlasting father, and you're telling him about, about the things that's going on in your life. And I want you to imagine hearing this, his response to you in this moment. He says this in verse 25, therefore I tell you, listen, child, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear is life not more than food and the body more than clothes. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns. Yet your heavenly father, feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Let me answer that question. Yes, you're more valuable than a bird. Come on, touch your neighbor and say, you're more than a bird. You're more than a bird. You're more than a bear. God actually cares about the concerns going in your life. So the next time you're anxious, you need to remember God's got it. The next time you're worried, you need to remember God's got it. The next time you don't know where your next meal's coming from, you need to know he's a provider and that God's got it. And the next time that you're dealing with something and you don't know what's gonna happen, God's got it. Whatever it is you're worrying about, you got an everlasting father that is working it out. Come on, somebody say, God's got it. Come on, say, God's got it. it. God is working out the thing you're worrying about. He says, I have got it. The government rests on his shoulders. God's got it. So listen, if it's a problem for you, your, your marriage your work, your finances. What you're gonna do in a week from now. The doctor's report. If it's a problem for you, it's a priority for God. God is not annoyed with you. God is not frustrated with you. When you come to him and you ask him for things, he's not rolling his eyes at you or just pushing you away. No, God is listening to you. God cares for you. Why? Because he is compassionate towards your concerns. Can I get an amen from somebody in the house? Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says this in the next chapter. He says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. I can just speak for myself. As as a dad, I always want my kids to be able to know they can come to me, Whatever whatever it's about. I want them to know that we have a type of relationship that no matter what goes on, whether they're five or 15 or 50, as long as I'm still on this earth with breath in my lungs, I want them to know that I'm not too busy for them. I'm not too busy for them. God's not too busy for you, and, and I'm gonna tell you right now the phase of life my kids are in. They have zero problem coming to me asking for things. They will ask, they will seek when I am hiding somewhere in the house, and they will knock on the door at 9 p.m. at night when him and my wife and I are having adult conversations. Just knock, 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 Dad. Can I get a new game on the iPad, son? I'm busy right now. Okay, somebody. They have no problem. Asking, seeking, knocking. It's one of the first things Tatum does. He'll get up and he'll come in the room and he'll, he'll be like, daddy, 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 can I get this? Can I get this new game on the iPad? Just one, please, dad, please, please, please. I'm like, no, it costs money. He's like, but, 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 but please, dad, please, just one. I'm like, you said that the last 14 days in a row and now I'm paying $75 for some iPad games in them with ads because I don't buy the ad-free version. And here he is, he's like, dad, please, please. It's another morning. He came into my room and, and, and I gotta use the moment, right? I'm like, no, this is free. He didn't know it's free. I'm like, well, buddy, that's gonna cost you something. And he's like, what is it? I said, it's gonna cost you a big bear hug. And he said, okay. I said, give me a bear hug. He hugs me. I said, that wasn't good enough. Give me another bear hug. I'm just trying to love my boy. You know what I'm saying? And he gives me another bear hug. I said, no, nope, that ain't good enough. I said, I need the biggest bear hug, the biggest T-bear hug that you can possibly give. And so he squeezes my neck and tries to begin choking me. And then he looks at me in the eyes and he says, daddy, I love you so much. And I bought him the iPad game. Come on, somebody. Here's what. Jesus says next, he says, which of you, if your son asks for bread or maybe an iPad game, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? The point is not to highlight me. The point is, is that I'm broken, I'm imperfect, I'm jacked up, busted, and disgusted. But if I know how to give good gifts to my kids, how much more does your heavenly father know how to bless you? How much more does your father know how to love on you and provide the needs that you have? Why? Because he cares enough about your concerns. Here's the second thing. God cares enough to confront your crap. Ooh, here we go. If you had little ears up in here and you teach them to not say crap, I'm sorry. I did not endorse that kind of language, but I just wanted to make sure you understood that a good, loving, heavenly father cares enough about you to confront your issues, to, as the scriptures say, discipline you, to correct your behavior, to convict Your spirit. How many of you grew up in the generation where you didn't just get spankings, you got whoopings? Like you got straight whoopings with the H. Like you, I mean, it wasn't just like a hand or a paddle. It was a belt or a switch. Y'all know what I'm talking? Or anything close by. Your parents just, now I'm not saying my parents beat me. I know this is super controversial. People are like, oh my gosh, I never would spank my, listen, I love you. You don't have to spank your kids. It's totally cool. But you also don't have to go on Instagram and tell everybody about your disciplinary methods. Because listen, we watch your kids in kids ministry and we know who disciplines, all right? Come on, somebody. All right, let me just play. But my parents, they, 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 would, they would whip me. They would whip me. And my parents were divorced, if you didn't know my story, and, and I grew up kind of in, in two different homes. And the, the one I feared the most of whooping me was my dad. Like if mom whipped me, I'd laugh at mom. And my stepdad, he didn't wanna whip me. So the one I feared was my dad. So when I would be at my, my stepmom in my dad's house, you know, I had a bunch of siblings and we lived at the time where if one person did something, everybody got whooped. Like, yeah, I know they did it, but you caused it or you, you antagonized it right And So everybody just line up. And I'll never forget my stepmom because she didn't want to spank us. She would say this line. She would say, just wait until your dad gets home. He's got it. He's got it. Somebody say, he's got it. He he gonna give you the whooping, you know, like, and so my dad would come home and we would be terrified just sitting on the couch and we would put like three pairs of underwear on just hoping to give a little bit of cushion, you know, and my dad would bring us in there and he'd be like, all right, face the window, put your hands on the bed. And so we just, and he would say this line that I hated so much before he would whoop me. He would say, now I want you to know this is gonna hurt me more than it hurts you. Well, you know what, dad, give me the belt. I'd like to try. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, dad, I don't want you to hurt. So just let's switch roles and let's see how it feels. And I never, I never understood that line until I became a dad because right. Like though we have to discipline, no like loving and kind hearted father just wants to beat their kid. You don't, you don't want to spank your kid. You don't want to have to discipline your kid. You don't want to inflict pain on your child. You love the child. You want your kid to not be afraid of you when you come home. You want them running to the door and hugging you and loving you. And I'm not saying about being their best friend, but, but you want them to like, they, they need to be just a little bit of fear, but a lot of love. Amen? And so I learned this as a dad, that it's one of the things that I, I hate more than anything. Now, for everybody who doesn't discipline, let me, let me give you a couple of scriptures here. Proverbs 23 says, don't withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. That's Bible right there. Come on, somebody. That's not endorsing beating your kid. But if you use a little, you use a little stick, they you, you ain't gonna die. And for everybody against that, I want you to watch. Proverbs 13, 24 says this, whoever spares the rod, whoever neglects discipline, hates their children but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. So let me just speak into you, parents. I know you hate disciplining them right now, but the Bible says that those who neglect disciplining their children hate their children. So it's not your job to be their best friend, it's your job to be their parent. Because if you're their best friend now, they'll parent you when you're older. And so he says, listen, it's important that you discipline. And what I've learned is that pain is gonna be experienced now or it'll be experienced later in life consequences. So like, I know we don't love discipline, um, but I'm sure glad that my parents disciplined me, disciplined me. I'm glad that they grounded me. I'm glad that they had to spank me a little bit. I'm glad that they took my phone. I'm glad that when I got got sneaking out trying to go to a girl's house, they took my car keys and said, you ain't gonna be doing that in my house, son. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm glad because their discipline in the moment saved me a lifetime of consequences in the future. And so God, he actually cares. He loves you enough to discipline you. Watch, Hebrews 12, five and six says this. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he corrects each one he accepts as his child. So if you feel like God is always on you and you you feel like God's always convicting you and you feel like God is always challenging you and confronting your crap, it's not because God's mad at you, it's because God loves you. He disciplines those he loves. I love what seven through 11, it says, it says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember God's treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you're illegitimate or not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they know how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Oh, that's a word. God disciplines, he confronts because he loves. So the, way he cor- the reason he corrects you in a moment is because he's trying to avoid pain for a lifetime. The reason he tells you to forgive someone, even though you don't feel like forgiving them, the reason he says, I want you to forgive them now is because he doesn't want a root of bitterness to come up and ruin the rest of your life. The the reason God convicts your spirit when you look at something you're not supposed to look at is because he knows that if if I don't correct the spirit, if I don't address the thought, that thought will eventually turn into an action and ruin the rest of your life. So a lot of times we don't like his correction, but it, he's correcting you because he loves you. So when we embrace current pain, we avoid future problems. So we go, God, I, I, I don't like the discipline. I don't like when you're correcting me. I don't, I don't love that. But I, I receive it because I know you love me. And see, some of you are like, well, God's never disciplined me. Well, the way we know God disciplines in us is when we actually open up His Word and read what it says. And what will happen is if you will open this and start reading it, there should be some level of conviction that you're not living exactly the way you should live. Not because God's trying to get you to follow the rules, but watch, because God's trying to get you to follow him. So you don't get God's way without going after God's will. So God gave you this not to just confine you. God gave you this as instruction because he actually loves you, amen? All right, number three, your, your, your everlasting father loves you unconditionally. Now, I didn't hear a single amen. And I think the reason why isn't just because you're introverted and you're quiet. I think when we hear the idea that God loves you unconditionally, it seems like a false reality because most of us can't wrap our mind around the idea of loving someone no matter what they do to you. We can't wrap our mind around that idea because our parents aren't perfect. And though every parent says and strives for and tries to love their kid unconditionally, for some of us, that's hard to grasp because when your parent isn't there or they leave or abandoned, or verbally abusive, or whatever, what the child tends to do is blame himself. And so here, because of something I did, I wasn't important enough. And so again, I wanna draw you in, despite your, your history, that your family history doesn't dictate your destiny. That what you went through yesterday, and what you experienced as a child, you may have not had the best earthly father, but your heavenly father is not a reflection of your earthly father. The heavenly father is a perfection of your earthly father. He is whatever your father wasn't on earth. Whether he was a good dad or bad dad, no dad is perfect, but you have an everlasting father who loves you and sees you not for what you do, but because it's who he is. Amen. Amen. Your everlasting father, he loves you unconditionally. Now I know some of you are like, well, of course he does. He loves everybody. No, 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 no. He loves you that when you were put on this earth and he formed you together in your mother's womb and you took your first breath, God's heart got a little bit bigger. It reminds me of when I saw my son being born, my first one. And we, we knew we were gonna try to have more than one, but, and we really prayed and asked God to, to bless us with one. And let me say this, I know some of you have been trying to have kids and you haven't had kids yet. I also wanna draw you back to when God said he adopted you. Adoption is not secondhand. If you were adopted in here, that doesn't mean you're loved any less. It just means that out of everybody in the world, somebody saw you and picked you and chose to love you. Amen. Amen. And so I got to see my son being born. And I remember being in that hospital room. And I, I remember laying eyes on my boy the first time. And I remember watching him cry for the first time. And when that moment happened, my heart grew a little bigger. I didn't know a love quite like that, the love of a father. My wife didn't really know a love quite like that, the love of a mother. And I remember two years in, You know, we're about to have our second one jet. And I remember this conversation I had with my wife and I said, I'm I'm terrified. And she said, why? And I said, well, because I I don't know if I can love the second one the same as I love the first one. I don't know if I got any more love to give. This kid is wearing me out. But I love, I, love, I, just, I love this little boy, like unconditionally. I don't know if I can love another one the same as I love this one. So I remember being in that room and the second we laid eyes on our little jet, my heart grew a little bigger. And God gave me the capacity to love. And by the time we found out we were pregnant with a third one, I remember going, God, please let this one be a girl because I don't know if I can... <laughs> deal with two more boys. Come to find out it's another boy. And, and I'll be honest, we, we were like, man, I, I just don't know how this is possible. What happened again? Baby comes out, looks like a little alien, but it's my alien, you know what I'm saying? And that's my child. And my heart grew again, a little bit larger. And every parent in this room knows what I'm talking about. And I, I just want to make sure that you don't walk in today and you leave and you don't know that when God lays his eyes on you, his heart grows a little bit more. And when God sees you, no matter what you've done, there ain't nothing you can do to make him love you anymore or any less. And there's a story in scripture that I don't think we could end today without sharing. I think it would be a miss on my end to not give you, I think, what's one of the most powerful pictures of the love of the Father that we see in Scripture. And it's this parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15, most, probably the most famous parable about the love of a father and his two sons. And he was illustrating two different things in this parable. But the first one is about the father, and the second one is about his boys. And typically when preachers like me preach this passage, we really focus in on how the the younger brother runs away and how, how if you've messed up and you ran away from God and you've done all this bad stuff and you ended up on drugs, you ended up addicted, you ended up blowing all your money, you ended up just at the lowest of low that when you come home, God welcomes you. And how many of you know that is true, amen, somebody? That you're never too far gone for the grace of God. That God wants a relationship with you, that he actually loves you. See, there's a difference in religion and relationship. Religion is, I've messed up, dad's gonna kill me. Relationship is, I've messed up, I better call dad. So God cares, but this passage is ultimately not just about the boys, but about the actual father. He says this, verse 11 and 12, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Say them. Now, I miss this a lot of times when I preached it because we always think he just gave his stuff to the youngest son because the oldest one didn't ask for it. But one of the things that happened in, in, in Jewish culture was that when an inheritance was given, the first son, the oldest brother, would have gotten two thirds of the inheritance and the younger brother would have gotten one third. So in order for him to give the inheritance to the younger brother, he had to also give it to the older brother as well. Super sign of disrespect, by the way, because inheritance typically don't get passed down until the father's dead. So here's this younger brother going, dad, I know you're alive, but I want your stuff. And his heavenly father divides it among them. And you maybe have heard the story. The younger brother leaves and he takes all of his possessions and his wealth and he goes out and he blows it, gambles it away, blows it on women and partying and It says, then he finds himself in this spot, verse 15. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed. Somebody say feed. Mm. To feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He's eating what the pigs are eating. It says he's literally feeding with the pigs. He's feeding off of what the world gives. He's scrolling. He's in the feed clicking. He's in the feed cropping. He's in the feed sharing. He's in the feed filtering. And what he comes to this moment and realizes is that everything in the feed was just making him more hungry. That what people most likely want to celebrate is the thing that is most likely to satisfy that he's feeding. Can I ask you a question? What are you feeding on? Like after like, love after love, share after share. And it says, verse 17, and this is my prayer for you today. It says that when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses. So if you're here and if you've been trying to feed your soul what the world offers, I, I pray you would come to your senses, that you would come to this realization, that what you need the most is not the Father's stuff, what you need the most is the Father. That you can have everything the world has to offer. You can feed on whatever everybody else is eating, but what you need most is not a satisfaction out here True satisfaction, true fulfillment comes from within here. True satisfaction will not be found in just what the father can give you. True satisfaction is found in who the father is to you. And so it says he he comes to his senses and he said, well, how, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death? What's he saying? He's saying, I look at my servants and I know my dad's got it. Dad's got what I, what I need. So like I, I left home, but dad stayed the same. I blew everything that I had, but dad is still able to bless. Why? Because he's got it. He's got it. So he comes to his senses and he starts preparing this speech. I gotta go home and I gotta, I gotta convince dad to let me back in. I gotta convince dad after I... I tell him the story of what I've done with everything he gave and how I failed him. And he says this, and and I want you to notice something. It, It says he starts to make this speech and he's talking to himself. So watch, he makes a speech in his mind, but the speech never came out of his mouth. And I wanna show you why. It says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's connecting his belonging to his behavior. He's connecting the sense of self-worth to his sinful actions. He says, I'm no longer to be called worthy, your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So then verse 20 says, he got up and went to his, went to his, what you run to when you get up, what you're in right now will determine if you have fulfillment or you don't. He says, he got up and he runs to his father. But while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He saw through his mistakes. He saw through his sins. He saw through those dirty clothes. He didn't just see an illegitimate child. No, he saw his son who came back home. He says, I I see beneath the surface of your sin. I see them beneath the mistakes that you've made. And it says, and when filled with compassion for him, he runs to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. This is the picture of the heavenly father who he picks up his tunic and he takes off running publicly, which was shameful in that day to do. A man was to never expose his legs. What is this a picture of? This is a picture of the gospel to you that your heavenly father would run after you and take on shame so you didn't have to. Come on, he's got it. He's got it. And he says, I I got you. He he looks at you and he, he sees you. He didn't just see his son, he sees you. And he sees every sin that you will commit after he forgave you. He sees every blessing you will blow after he already gave it. He sees every struggle that you will have. But I got good news. The government is on his shoulders. Your sin is on his shoulders. Your shame was on his shoulders. God looked at you and he said, I got it. I can handle it. I can shoulder it. This is why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. Because God, he's got it. He's got it. And when God looks at you, when you are in Christ, he doesn't just see your sin, he sees his son. He doesn't look at you through the lens of your past. He doesn't look at you through the lens of even your present. He he looks at you through the lens of his son, Jesus, who went to the cross and died on your behalf. And so that when now he sees you, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because my life is hidden in Christ. So when my heavenly father looks at me and he looks at you, he doesn't just see who you're not, he sees who his son is. Amen, somebody. Come on, stand to your feet. He no longer sees you through the lens of your lowest moments. He sees you through the lens of his finished work. Hear me, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for your behalf. Your sin, he's got it. Your shame, he's got it. Your past, he's got it. Your present, he's in it. Your future, he holds it. He's got an inheritance for you that will never spoil, tarnish, or fade. He's got it. Somebody say, he's got it. Come on, say, he's got it. That security you've been wanting, he's got it. That love that you need, he's got it. That joy that you've been seeking after, he's got it. That peace that you need in this season, your heavenly father's got it. He's got it. He sees you and he loves you. The door is open, the father is near, your dad is listening. You are always welcome to come home. No speech necessary. So if you failed him and you're in need of forgiveness today, I got a good word for you, he's got it. He's got enough forgiveness to cover your past failures, your present failures, and your future failures. Come on, why don't you just thank God right now that he's got you in the palm of his hand, that his grace is greater. Amen. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So listen, if you want a relationship with your heavenly Father, the door is open. If you want a new beginning, if you want a new start, God looks at you and he says, you got it. You got it. You want me to forgive you? You got it. You need my grace, you got it. You need my mercy, you got it. You need my discipline, you got it. You need my love in this season, you got it. You need a protector, you got it. You need a provider, you got it. If you, if you need somebody to guide you, you need a wonderful counselor, you need a mighty God, you need an everlasting father, you need a prince of the peace, you got it. So I, I, got, I got two prayers I wanna end with. And that's the first prayer I wanna, I wanna offer you is for those who have been worrying about life and worrying about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink, how you're going to pay your bills, how you're going to provide Christmas, your future. Who holds it? God looks at you today and he goes, I got it. I got it. So I want to pray a prayer for you today. Maybe if you just need in this season to go, you know what? I trust God with the blessings he's given me. If that's you right now, every head bowed, eye closed, will you just stretch your hand towards heaven? If this sermon was for you today and you, and you needed this word to be reminded that God's got it, lift your hand towards heaven, hands going up all over the room. Heavenly Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would remind them that you got it. God, I ask that as they worry, as they, as they are tempted to give up their peace in this Christmas season, God, I pray that they would know that you see in them what they don't even see in themselves, that you can shoulder their struggle, that you, God, you got it, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, I wanna do a second prayer, and that's for those of you who you've been trying to handle your own life, and unfortunately, maybe your earthly father has skewed your view of your heavenly father, or maybe you thought because of that relationship, you had to perform your way and do enough good and say the right things. I want you to know today that your heavenly father loves you unconditionally. He cares enough to confront your sin and he's compassionate towards your concerns. That God loves you as you are, sees you as you are, will save you as you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you as you are. That Jesus Christ Paid the penalty you should have paid, hung on that cross with his arms spread wide, and said, It is finished. Father, I got it. So today, if you want to receive Jesus for the first time, or you want to come back to God, maybe you ran away and today is your you're coming back home. I love you to pray this with me. Every head bowed, eye closed. Say, today, I give you my life. I trust you that your payment for me was enough that you died on the cross and that you rose from the grave so that I can be forgiven and set free. You got it. You got my life. You got my mind. And you got my spirit. I give my life to you. This is my new beginning. You just prayed that prayer for the first time and you're coming home back to God today. On the count of three, nobody looking around. I just want you to shoot your hand up as a declaration that he's got it, that he's got your life. One, God loves you. Two, he forgives you. Three, just shoot your hand up and say, today is my new beginning. Today, I'm coming back to God. Hands going up in the back. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Come on, Chris, I see you, I see you. God loves you. Come on, church, why don't we just open our eyes and celebrate everybody who made that decision today. Come on, why don't you sing by faith? that you trust in God today. Come on. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. If it encouraged you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to stories at renovation.church. And if you'd like to partner with us financially and help us continue to reach people all over the world, you can do that by going to our website, renovation.church slash give. Have a blessed day.